Amen. Thank you, James and choir. You brought a Bible with you. Say amen. And uh, I'd invite you to open with me, if you will, Luke's Gospel, chapter 8. If you've been visiting with us, we've been going verse by verse through Luke's Gospel. We find ourselves this morning in chapter 8, beginning in verse 40. But before I read the text of Scripture, I want to ask a quick question by show of hands. How many of you are in the building this morning and you actually have some sort of physical illness going on? Would you slip your hand up real quick? Put it up real high. Good night. A bunch of hands, right? How many of you know somebody who's got a physical illness? You slip it up real quick. Pretty much all of us. Now, great news. There's a word from heaven for every person in the building this morning uh, concerning Jesus and his ability to heal. So I believe you're going to be astonished at what the scriptures teach and also be challenged to really ramp up your trust in the Lord Jesus. So Luke's Gospel chapter 8, you got it there in front of you. Say amen. Uh, stand with me in honor of God's word, if you will, beginning in verse 40. Uh, stand to your feet, verse 40. The Bible says, and Jesus returned, the people welcomed him. For they had all been waiting for him. And there was a man named Jairus, and he was an official of the synagogue. And he fell at Jesus' feet and began to implore him to come to his house. And he had only one daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. But as he went, the crowds were pressing against him. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years, who could not be healed by anyone, came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. And immediately her hemorrhage was stopped. And Jesus says, uh, who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she had escaped, noticed, uh, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Verse 49, while he was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue official saying, Your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But when Jesus heard this, he answered, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe and she will be made well. And when he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the girl's father and mother. Now they were all weeping and lamenting for her, and he said, Stop weeping, for she's not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him, knowing that she had died. He, however, took her by the hand and called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up immediately, and he gave orders for something to be given her to eat. And uh, the understatement in the scripture, verse 56, her parents were amazed. Wouldn't you agree that's an understatement? But he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, uh, this is your word. We open it up as followers of yours and learn who you are and what you're up to and how you're continuing to work uh, in this world. And God, as a result, we learn truths and we apply them. So I pray that will be the case this morning, that you'd speak to each one of our hearts. You would encourage us deeply and challenge us greatly that we might grow in our faith in you. God, thank you that you indeed are a healer, that you're still in the business of healing people. And so, God, I pray that you would establish us upon the Scripture that we might pray in such a way that it reflects that which we, what we say we believe. God, also, I pray for those in the building this morning uh, who don't know you personally. They've come to church, they're hanging out, but they don't have a relationship with you. God, I pray that you would show yourself to them today, that they would realize they can't hold on to their sin any longer. They need to turn from it and place their trust in what you did for them on the cross at Calvary, dying in their place, being buried and resurrected. 
I pray, Lord, they would come to you and they would be radically transformed. And we'll give you glory for what you do in this service. And it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. And you can be seated. You know, as we follow the life and ministry of Jesus, we discover quickly the heart of God the Father. See, Jesus came as the exact representation of the invisible God and explained the Father to us. That's what the Bible teaches. He came as God's Messiah for Israel. That is, Jesus was the anointed king of Israel. So Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of a plethora of Old Testament prophecies. His teachings were simple, and yet they were profound. His ministry was simple, and yet it was extremely powerful. Now, in order to substantiate his profound message, as well as his powerful ministry, as the Messiah, before an unbelieving audience, Jesus performed many miracles. In fact, the purpose of miracles in the New Testament followed the purpose of miracles in the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 4, 1 through 5, it teaches that miracles were a divine confirmation of a prophet or a spokesperson of God. So God explained it to Moses that he would have a gift to perform miracles as signs to the people of both Israel as well as Egypt. He states the reason for the miracles was so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob had actually appeared to you. So God gave Moses the ability to do miracles to prove the very fact that he indeed was a spokesman from the Lord. Now, as we study through the book of Hebrews, we find that Jesus, the exact representation of God the Father, was a greater spokesperson than even Moses. Now, this is primarily because he was God in the flesh, which gives you an advantage. Can I get a witness on that one? So indeed, he was greater. But this is why many miracles which Jesus performed on earth were a step above the miracles of the Old Testament prophets. For example, Elijah prayed for rain, and it rained. As we saw last Sunday morning together, Jesus rebuked the winds and the waves, and they immediately sat down. That was a greater miracle. But also we find in the Old Testament that Moses is quite often granted as the individual who saw manna come from heaven. He was a great prophet because of this. But Jesus came and took a little boy's lunchbox and fed over 5,000 people. It was a greater miracle. And it substantiated to us as well as to the audience of the New Testament day who Jesus Christ genuinely was. So the miracles of Jesus established the validity and the authenticity of the message of his ministry. So this morning, because of God's divine word and scripture, you and I had the opportunity to peel back the curtain of history and also peer in and witness firsthand the miraculous power of our Savior. Now, the miracles we're about to witness were given as substantial proof that Jesus was indeed the Messiah who was sent from God. And these miracles, likewise, serve as a personal faith builder in the person of the Lord Jesus for those who are present as well as for you and I today. Also, as we follow the steps of Jesus Christ in this text together, as Christ followers, we learn practically how we are called to serve those who are in need. Remember, Jesus Christ was the head of the church. You and I, as followers of Jesus, we are the body. That is, we are the hands and the feet of Christ Jesus. Therefore, what the minister Christ is doing is what the ministry should be involved in, that is, between you and I. So, with that in mind, there's a few characteristics of a person of Jesus that I feel we as servants of the Lord should emulate. So, this morning, I'm going to give you three ways you can actually copy 
Jesus Christ and see greater faith built in your life. So first of all, I want to give you this. We must be willing to listen to the needs of others. So how are we going to live like Jesus? We need to be willing to listen to the needs of others. Now, there's no doubt in this text that Jesus possessed an approachable personality. By this, I mean he didn't give off a stay-away-from-me vibe. Y'all know people like that? They just have that vibe. They give it away, don't they? And some people are like, good night. You just got to stay away from those kind of people. That is not the life of Jesus. People were not repelled from him, not in our text, but rather they were actually drawn to the person of Jesus. Look in your Bible again at verse 40. The Bible says, Jesus returned to people, welcomed him, for they had all been waiting for him. So picture this morning some of them standing knee deep in water as they watch Jesus and the disciples coming to the shore in their boat. The idea is that they gladly received Jesus. Now, while the crowds pressed in around Jesus, notice the man coming toward him with tears in his eyes. He is pressing through the crowds. He is pushing people to the left and the right to get them out of the way. There's a great sense of absolute desperation on the face of this man and even fear on his face. What is his problem? Verse 41, there came a man named Jairus. He was an official of the synagogue, and he fell at Jesus' feet and began to implore him to come to his house, for he had only uh, one daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. Now, this morning, don't allow the weight of concern which this man carried to escape you. He had one daughter. How many daughters did he have, church? Yeah, one daughter is how many he had. She was 12 years old, which was a transitional age in Jewish culture where a girl becomes a woman. In fact, this was a general age for women to be betrothed to a man. However, this girl was not experiencing the same great passageway in life as the other girls her age were in her village. Instead of entering the doorway of womanhood, she was about to enter the doorway of death. See, the daughter of Jairus, she was the sunshine of his day. She was the great joy of his heart. Picture Jairus this morning holding her father's finger as they walked through the wheat fields. Now picture her lying upon a bed holding tightly the robe as she arrives in pain with a great fever. Picture her smiling as she looks into the caring eyes of her father. Now, because her little body was failing, her eyelids could barely open to see anything or anyone. No wonder Jairus came to Jesus falling at his feet. Word about the Lord Jesus' ability to heal those who were diseased was spreading like wildfire in that region. So he came, and the scripture states that he implored Jesus to come to his house. Now, the idea of imploring Jesus speaks of Jairus issuing an earnest invitation to the Lord. Now you can picture the great prominent leader among Jewish people pulling at the feet of the Lord Jesus. There he is in tears at the feet of Christ, pulling at him saying, please come to my home. My daughter is sick. Well, in this text, we find indeed that Jesus Christ listened to Jairus. Don't allow that simple reality to pass. Jesus' eyes, they were fixed upon the brokenhearted man. His ears were in tune with the heart of Jairus. He understood Jairus' great need which, by the way, for everybody in the building this morning, Jesus still has an approachable personality. You can, just like Jairus, fall at the feet of Jesus Christ in prayer and issue an earnest invitation for him to visit your current need. Jesus was given the opportunity to serve because he made himself a listener. Now, here's a note. You and I, Christ followers, become better listeners, and then we will become better servants of Christ. 
See, how are we as a body to reflect the glory of Jesus in our current culture? Well, the same way Christ did. He listened to the needs of others. If we listen to our community, if we listen to our fellowship, we will discover needs. If you will listen to people talk while you are at work, listen to people talk while you are at school, listen to people talk while you are at the ball field, you will begin to discover ministry opportunities, needs that are out there. And every single need gives you and I an opportunity to express the person of Christ to other people. In fact, needs, what are they? Needs are bridges God builds in other people's lives for believers to cross over with his great love and to serve. See, as we approach a vacation Bible school this week, I want to challenge all of the leaders to listen to the needs of children. Challenge all of the leaders to listen to the needs of the families who drop their children off. Now I want to challenge you not only to listen, but also discover ministry opportunities that you never thought of simply because you listen. So if we're going to have a servant's heart like the Lord Jesus Christ, first of all, we've got to learn to listen to other people. Just listen to what's going on and find the needs. But then there's a second truth, and that is we must serve without favoritism. We've got to serve without favoritism. Now, the word favoritism speaks of unfairly favoring one person at the expense of another. Now, there is a great contrast between the two individuals in our text this morning. On one hand, you have Jairus, who is this prominent Jewish figure in Jewish culture. On the other hand, we have a social outcast, this woman who has had an issue of blood for 12 years. Take a look at verse 43. You're looking at it, say yes. Hey, we're going somewhere and I can't wait to get there. Y'all all right? Verse 43, the Bible says, in a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. Now think about it. For the past 12 years, Jarius had been spending time hanging out with his daughter. While this unnamed woman in Luke 8 had not experienced interaction with anyone for 12 years. One commentator put it this way, and I quote, During the same 12 years that this little girl had been the sunshine of Jarius' home, a hopelessly ill woman suffered in humiliation and discouragement, end quote. But why was she humiliated? Why discouraged? Well, because she was considered unclean by Jewish society, uh, according to the book of Leviticus. She was isolated from others. Society was forbidden to come into contact with a woman who was bleeding, or else they would be considered unclean themselves. And then also the text tells us that she was incurable. She'd been bleeding for 12 years. The book of Luke tells us that no one could heal her. She was a lost cause. In fact, think about it this morning. Luke, who is writing this gospel under the inspiration of the Spirit, is actually a physician. He's a doctor. So when Luke says nobody can help her, he knows what he's talking about. Could do nothing. Now, what does this have to do with favoritism, you ask? Glad you asked. Think about it like this for just a moment. If Jesus was trying to gain great recognition among the people at that time, he would have completely focused on Jairus' issue and disregarded the unnamed woman. It makes sense that if Jesus comes through for Jairus, there would be a great deal made about him in the synagogue as well as in the Jewish culture. However, this woman was as good as dead to society. So his taking any time to minister to her really wouldn't seem to serve any purpose whatsoever. Nobody even mentions her name. 
12 years she's been an outcast. But Jesus showed no favoritism. He didn't give special treatment to Jairus and ignore this particular woman. In fact, notice in your Bible, verse 45, Jesus said, who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. In other words, Jesus, uh, what do you mean who touched you? There's a bunch of people around it. They're all pressing in. Peter's like, they're touching me too. Get off. <laughs> but this touch was different. Now, y'all brought your Bible, say yeah. Because what I want you to see is something radically awesome uh, in the next verse that I'm fixing to read to you, verse 46. But Jesus said, somebody did, what does your Bible say? Yeah, somebody did do what? Yeah, somebody did touch me. For I was aware that power had gone out of me. Now, the word touch is the same word used to speak of how Jesus touched the leper. I don't know if you remember that sermon. I preached it not long ago. If you don't, it's okay. But it's a word that literally means to kindle a fire. So when this woman touched even the hem of the garment of Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches Jesus actually realized it. He says, power has left me. That is to say, Jesus felt supernatural power escape him. That's a picture, isn't it? Chuck Swindoll writes concerning this exchange, and I quote, as the desperate woman's fingers contacted the tassel of Jesus' tunic, she immediately felt a sudden rush of tingling vitality flow through her limbs, warm the center of her body, and stop the seeping of blood from her. Imagine, Swindoll writes, in that moment of time, a dozen years of chronic bleeding and baffled doctors and shunning neighbors suddenly ended all because of a touch. Now, you know, Jesus is still in the healing business today. Let me restate that for all us Baptist people. Jesus is still in the healing business today. There's no doubt. In fact, for some of you, God is calling you to not doubt His ability to not only hear your prayers, but also to answer them. So the Lord, this morning, when you were asked, how many of you have a physical ailment and you slipped your hand up? God already knew you had that issue. And He has the ability to radically change your situation, to heal you. Now, the Bible teaches, and this is all free, this ain't in your notes or mine, y'all listening? But the Bible does teach that Jesus heals immediately. Right? In other words, Jesus has the ability to touch you right where you are and radically transform you just immediately. So what happened to the woman. She touched the hem of a garment, and immediately she was healed. You know, on one occasion while in Ethiopia, we uh, had a medical clinic going on, and so we had some doctors in there who were trying to help some individuals. One of the doctors uh, didn't know the Lord, so we were sharing the gospel with that individual. He's from America. And uh, this couple came, the very first couple brought their little boy to the doctors to see them. What's the problem? Well, the little boy couldn't hear, the little boy could not speak. He'd been that way since birth. He was around seven or eight years old at this particular time. And so our American doctors began to look, try to figure out what they could do. And uh, they came to the conclusion and stated it to the parents that even if your child were in America, there's nothing that we could do for him. Your child is deaf. Your child cannot speak. So they began to get ready to leave, and they were, you know, getting their vitamins and whatnot, and they were fixing to go out when Pastor Dumbay, one of my heroes over in Ethiopia, spoke up and said, wait just a minute, what's the problem? Let's pray for him. 
And so they gathered some people around, and Pastor Dumbay prayed that God, by his grace, would touch the little boy and heal him. He said amen. As soon as the prayer was over, the little kid could speak and hear. What is up with that? pretty amazing, isn't it? Pretty amazing that the Lord would heal that child right in front of unbelieving eyes. So the Lord indeed can heal immediately. We see that all throughout the, te- the scriptures. See that as well. The problem is we don't talk about it too often in Baptist circles because we're afraid somebody's going to think we're charismatic. Y'all all right? I know you. You ain't close to being charismatic, all right? The Bible also teaches that Jesus can heal over time. He touched Peter, Peter's uh, mother-in-law, and the Bible says that she recovered. That gives the essence of time. So over a course of time, Jesus prayed, and she was healed. And Jesus can do that as well. We can pray for you, and you can be healed over the course of time. The Bible also teaches that the Lord Jesus uses medicine and doctors. In the Old Testament, Hezekiah, who was a king, was sick. He had a boil on him which is basically this terrible sore. Elijah came, he took figs and told Hezekiah, take the figs, put it on the boil. And when he did so, that, uh, those figs served medicinal purposes and sucked out the poison that was in his body. That's medicine. God works through that. In the New Testament, Luke is a doctor. Jesus says those who are sick, they need a physician. That's what Jesus said. Then also you have in the New Testament where Paul the Apostle writes to Timothy. Timothy's got a problem with his stomach, uh, acid reflux or something. I don't know what it was. But Paul the Apostle told Timothy, what you need to do is drink a little bit of wine to soothe your stomach uh, each day. Which I feel like I got acid reflux. Y'all all all right? (laughs) It's just balling up in me. But that was medicine. It was a medicinal purpose. And so uh, the Lord can use these things to heal immediately over time through doctors, through medicine. It's in the Bible. But we also know that ultimately Jesus heals all of those who come to faith in him. That's the healing whenever you pass away or the Lord returns. Look, death for the Christian is not a doorway unto death. Death for the follower of Jesus Christ is a doorway unto eternal life. And that life is given to you as you receive a brand new body that is fit for eternity, which will never, ever be touched again by disease or sickness. So that is ultimate healing. And the Lord gives that to all who come to him by faith. So we see this all throughout the scripture. And it's amazing as we study this text of Scripture, we're encouraged as followers of Jesus Christ not to just overlook people who are sick or not to just say, oh, I don't know how I'm going to pray for you. No, no, no. This challenges you and I on how to pray for those who are sick. Sick. Verse 47. Look at your Bible. Uh, When the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, uh, she came trembling. She fell down before Jesus and declared in the presence of all uh, the people the reason why she had touched Jesus. And how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, uh, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now, the word peace uh, speaks about being free from worry. So when she left, she no longer had any worry. 
You know, the unnamed woman, Jesus called her daughter. It's a term of great endearment and a reminder of what faith does when we come to Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus said, my, bro- my mother and my brothers and my sister are those who hear the word and they do it. That is, those who not only hear the word but practice it are members of his family. See, when Jesus calls her daughter, he affirms the fact that her faith not only made her physically well, but also spiritually well. She, in that moment, was a member of the family of God. She believed upon the Lord Jesus. So he ministered, and he continues to minister without favoritism. He ministered to the unnamed woman, as well as Jairus, the named man. Now, as we follow Jesus in ministry, we'll have to make a choice that you and I are going to serve others without any favoritism. Uh, That is, we cannot look at the outward appearance of a person and determine whether or not we're going to serve them. We cannot look at a person's social status and determine who we are going to serve. James chapter 2 and verse 1 says, My brethren, uh, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. Uh, this means we, as we serve Jesus, there's going to be times when we are tempted to treat others differently because of where they live, because of what they look like, or even because of what associating with them might mean for us. However, those of us who are called by God to serve, we serve without personal favoritism. Romans 2 and 11 says, For God does not show favoritism. James 3 and 17 reminds us that the wisdom from God shows no favoritism and is always sincere. So if we're to walk as the Lord walks, we must be strengthened by the Holy Spirit in our inner man so that we will be willing to listen to the needs of others and serve no matter what the situation, showing no favoritism for the glory of God. Now, thirdly, y'all still with me? Say yes. This is where I'm headed and I'm pretty fired up about it. Number three, We can't allow comments to discourage us. See, after the miraculous healing of the woman in our text, we find the scene quickly changes. Uh, What amazement must have filled the heart of the woman and even the onlookers as they realized the healing power of Jesus. But notice how quickly the scene changed in verse 49. While he was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue official saying, Your daughter's dead. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. And the word trouble means just mess with. Don't mess with him any longer. Let him be. The scene went from life to death in one verse. But notice Jesus' response in verse 50. When Jesus heard this, he answered him. Don't be afraid any longer. Only believe and she will be made well. See, Jesus challenges Jairus. Please listen. Jesus challenges Jairus to trust him. That is, have faith. Faith is always the opposite of fear. There's no doubt Jairus was extremely fearful, and yet Jesus challenged him to replace his fear with faith in him. That's the word for some of you here this morning. You are fearful. Jesus says, hey, place your faith in me. Trust me. Verse 51, while he came into the house, he didn't allow anyone to enter with him. said, Peter and John and James and the girl's mother, and father and here we begin to see Jesus's inner circle of disciples the three men who would be privy to a lot of things in the life and ministry of Jesus verse 52 now they were all weeping and lamenting for her and he said stop weeping she's not died but is asleep now Matthew's gospel gives us a little more insight concerning what's going on here as it speaks about the fact that they were uh, flute players on the scene so this was customary in the culture. Whenever a person would die in Jewish culture, they would actually hire, are y'all listening say yes? They would actually hire mourners to come to their house and to play sad music and to weep and to wail. 
So that's the scene as Jesus walks into the room. They're weeping, they're wailing, and they're playing very gloomy music. But Jesus says, hey, y'all, y'all stop weeping. Notice what uh, verse 53 says. They all began laughing at him, knowing that she had died. Now, the word laugh doesn't mean they were snickering behind the back of Jesus. The word laugh speaks literally of ridicule. So in a single moment, Jesus became the brunt of the house jokes. This ridicule of Jesus was an opportunity to keep him from serving the family. Jesus could have, out of fear or embarrassment, fled the scene. However, Jesus would not allow other comments, remarks, ridicule to discourage him as he fulfilled the Father's will. In fact, this wouldn't be the last time Jesus would be ridiculed and laughed at and mocked. In fact, he would be that way as he headed to the cross at Calvary. But thanks be unto God, he didn't turn around. He endured the ridicule as well as the cross. Listen, for your sake and for my sake. So those comments didn't stop him. But I found... And serving the Lord, I'm sure some of you have found this as well, many of you probably have, that when you begin to serve the Lord Jesus by meeting the needs of others without favoritism, you will, listen, always face some ridicule and criticism. So if you are doing what God has called you to do and you're being criticized and downsized for it, do not fret it, keep on serving. Do not allow negativity to drag you down in discouragement. Instead, like the Lord Jesus, you keep your eyes fixed on the task at hand. Some of you who are serving in vacation Bible school this week, somebody's going to come up and say something to you they shouldn't say and try to discourage you. Listen, you let that mess roll off of you like water off a duck's back. That's a Lula phrase. Y'all with me? And you continue to do what God's called you to do. Y'all out there? Verse 54 Jesus, however, took her by the hand, that's a little girl, and called, saying, Child, arise, and her spirit returned. And she got up immediately and gave orders. He gave orders for something to be given to her to eat. Her parents were amazed, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. Now, could you imagine the heart of Jairus and his wife in this single moment? Or the expression on the professional mourner's face when food was being brought to this little girl? Jesus was not deterred. He wasn't discouraged by those in the house. He came to fulfill God's will for his life. Now, y'all need to listen closely. Notice what Jesus says. He's like, don't tell anybody about this. One commentator says this is like Mark's messianic secret. In the Gospels, Jesus' deity is veiled until after the great truths of Calvary and the resurrection are revealed. Hey, listen, since that day, they're no longer veiled. Jesus doesn't say, be quiet. Jesus says, go out and tell everybody. Now, this morning, what have we learned? Well, we've learned that as we follow the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to be willing to listen to other people. As we listen, we become better servants. We've also learned that we cannot serve with favoritism. We can't decide who we're going to actually serve based upon what they look like or act like, etc. And then finally, we also learned together today that whenever we are serving the Lord and comments of discouragement come, we allow them to come in one ear and out the other and keep doing what God's called us to do. But we've also found that Jesus has the miraculous power to heal. Now, we're reminded that Jesus does have power over sickness. We're also challenged to trust Jesus when sickness hits our own bodies or the body of someone who is within the household of faith. Now, New Testament proves to you and I that Jesus has the power to heal. Now, are y'all listening? Just say, yeah, real quick. Where, where does sickness come from? Well, sickness showed up as a result of sin in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned, 
uh, there was a curse upon the land, and as a result, sickness came in to the world. So it's here. I mean, it just kind of hangs out and jumps on people. But whenever an individual becomes sick or they experience some sort of sickness, well, where did it come from? Well, the Bible teaches uh, there's several different answers to that particular question. On one occasion, the devil himself could have put the sickness on you. That's what Jesus says about a man who had a hunched back uh, in the New Testament. We'll get that eventually. But he says that the devil had done that. Now, there are times when a person is sick, when the enemy, who is the devil, is oppressing them. Now, based upon the New Testament, uh, the Scripture teaches us that when you and I come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are given spiritual authority over the devil. Are y'all listening? Say yes. So we have spiritual authority over the devil. So if the devil puts sickness upon an individual, based upon Scripture, you can rebuke the devil and tell it to leave. Y'all out there? I know y'all think I'm crazy now, don't you? God bless you. But the Bible also teaches that sickness can show up just because of your sin. See, in 1 John, it talks about a sin that leads unto death. Paul the Apostle writes to the Corinthian church, they are taking the Lord's Supper, but what they're doing in the Lord's Supper is drinking all of the wine and getting flat drunk, taking it, disregarding the glory of the Son of God. And Paul writes to the Corinthian church and says, that's why some of you are sick. And that's also why some of you are dead. Because of their own sin. But we also find in the uh, scriptures that a person can be sick not only because of the devil, not only because of their own sin, but we also find that in the mystery of sickness, God himself can allow sickness to come into our life. Now that's unique. We see that as well in Paul the Apostle's life. You know, he's praying that the Lord would take a thorn of the flesh from him, which he speaks about being an infirmity, which is a physical issue that he had. Lord, take it away. But then the Lord said, no, 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 my grace is sufficient for you. Whenever you are weak, I am strong. And so God used even that particular uh, ailment in his life to keep him humble and to keep him close to his side. God reserves the right to do that as well. But whenever a person is sick, how should we as a church respond? What should we do? We ought to pray for them. Are y'all out there and say, yeah? I mean, we ought to pray that they would be healed. So where do you get this? Well, James tells us all throughout the New Testament, he's like, uh, hey, pray for those who are sick and pray for one another that you may be healed. That's exactly what it says, that you be healed. So that's how we pray. You know, Adrian Rogers was uh, preaching on healing at his church. He's a uh, late pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church up in, I believe, Tennessee somewhere. Phenomenal preacher. He's preaching on healing, and he begins to tell the people how they were going to pray that God would heal folks in the context of the church. And then Adrian Rogers makes the comment, I know what some of you are already saying. You're already saying, oh, my word, our pastor's lost his mind. They're starting to have healing services down at the church. To which Adrian Rogers said, would to God that we would have healing church, uh, services down at the church. So, so what? <laughs> Y'all out there? Now listen real close. I'm fully aware that there are some jokers who are profiting off of the sickness of people all throughout America and all over the world. So they're going, um, how shall I say, angels, 
disguised as light, just like the devil himself. These are false prophets who are going around act like they got something going on, and they don't. And I'd agree with what one preacher said. The hottest place in hell is reserved for those individuals. But I will say, Jesus has the ability to heal, and we ought to flat pray for people to be healed. So that's what we think to do. Y'all all right? Y'all was with me until I said we're fixing to do that. Eh? <laughs> now, all you people who raised your hand a moment ago and said you've got a physical situation, I'm going to do just like I did the first service. Right now, stand to your feet. You get down here in an altar. Go ahead. Let's go. That's how we're going to roll this, evening, this morning. You come this morning. You said, that's me. I've got an illness. And all of you who will, I'd encourage all the rest of you, come down here and find some people to lay your hands on them, pray for them, and pray that the Lord would heal their bodies. So as our pianist and as our uh, guitar plays, we are praying for people's healings. Hey, if you want to whisper in their ear and say, tell me how I can pray for you, they would love to tell you, and you pray for them. But right now, every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's pray for these individuals. Pray for God's healing on their life. If you need a pastor to talk to, James is down here on the side, as well as uh, Randy uh, is down here on the side. But you're praying. Pray for those people right now where you are. still praying right there in the altar father it is a, a privilege that we can come into your presence and not based upon any merit of our own but entirely because of the righteousness of your son Jesus Christ you grant us access into the throne room of God and father this morning we reach out like the woman who hemmers for 12 years reaching for the very end of your garment praying that you would allow supernatural power to be released from you to touch those who are in great need this morning. God, I pray as the enemy does indeed attack believers and oppress them even with disease according to the Bible, Lord, I pray for those this morning who may be here on the altar. And God, I pray in Jesus' name that the enemy would be rebuked and that absolute healing would come to the lives of those people. Father, we pray that in the strong name of Christ based upon the blood of the Savior. God, also we pray specifically for those individuals who are experiencing some, I mean, just phenomenal trials. God, I obviously pray for Esther this morning who's undergoing a breast cancer. God, she needs a touch from you. Lord, that's nothing that I or anybody else can give her. Father, she needs a touch from heaven. So I pray in the name of Jesus that you would, as you have reached out so many times, reach down and touch her, touch her body, give her absolute peace. God, we'd pray for divine miracle to be worked and wrought in her life. Father, we also uh, continue to pray for these others who are in desperate need. God, so many uh, that I know of. I don't want to skip anyone, but God, I pray for A.J. McLean. I know she's got some physical maladies happening. God, in Jesus' name, touch her body and heal her as well. 
Father, we surrender ourselves to you. And God, we ask that you would forgive us as uh, followers of you, uh, where we have often picked and choose kind of what we would believe in the Bible and what we kind of just brush over. God, help us not only believe it all, but trust it all and walk behind you, following you. And Father, I pray that you would place it upon our hearts as believers, that we would pray in faith, seeking healing, desiring for you to heal those who are sick. We pray that in Jesus' name. Help us to be a, a church that believes the word and that walks the word. God, heal, give us a Holy Spirit discernment to understand that which comes from you and that which is flat out counterfeit. And Father, all of those, even now, I pray that your weight of glory would rest down upon those who are sick, that they would experience you even now. And you would bring a healing. Your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. Everybody's still praying here in the altar. You don't need to move. You may be here this morning, and listen, I'm talking about healing. I'm showing you from Scripture. All of this was done to prove that Jesus was indeed who he said he was. He's God. But you don't know him yet. You don't have a relationship with him. Listen, God created you to know him, but sin separates you. If you hold on to your sin, you'll spend eternity separated from God in hell. But God's grace is sufficient for you. God wants you to know him. He came in Jesus. He lived a sinless, righteous life. He went to a cross. He died for your sin and my sin. He was buried and resurrected. And he did all of this so that when you come to him in a humble and contrite heart and ask him to forgive you of your sin and choose to follow him, in that absolute moment, you experience a supernatural healing. God forgives you of all your sin and he places into your spiritual bank account the righteous life of his son. And some of you need that. You just need to follow Jesus. So if that's you this morning, I'd ask you to pray something just like this in your heart. Just say, God, I know I'm a sinner and there's nothing that I can do to be saved. So this morning, I'm turning from my sin, placing my trust in you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me and getting up from the grave. Now help me to live a life unashamed of you. Your head bowed, your eyes closed. People are still praying. And listen, you can be in here in the altar as long as you want to. But if you say, Levi, that was my prayer, man, I just pray with you to receive Jesus. In a moment, we're going to have a hymn of invitation being sung by James. And as he sings, I'll be here in the front. Pastor Brandon will be here in the front. Pastor Randy will also be here in the front. So I'm going to invite you to come forward if you've prayed to receive Jesus. We want to pray for you, help you along in your walk with Christ. God may be calling you to join this church family as others did already this morning. If that's the case, man, you'd be obedient to the Lord. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Hey, you guys in the altar, keep praying. James, if you'll sing for us, if you need to come forward this morning, we're here in the front waiting on you.